The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today is from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city, that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks for the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you, peace be within your walls, and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, I want to remind you of the check-in process, christpres.org slash blackbook. Uh, if you want to register your attendance with us here, we would really appreciate it if you would do that. And uh, I'll just mention giving again. Um, you can give online, christpres.org slash give if you're so inclined. All right, this passage. I can't read the opening lines of this psalm without it teleporting me back 30 years ago to when I was 16, 17 years old in a small country church in Indiana. It was a pole barn structure of a church that had been built out into this uh, simple but functional facility. And it was the church that I was a part of as a high school kid. It was a full gospel, non-denominational, charismatic church. A swinging from the chandeliers, charismatic church, a dancing in the aisles, being slain in the spirit, charismatic church. This is the place where I heard the gospel. It's the place where I came to faith. It's the place where I learned to pray. It's where I learned to sing worship songs. I had been raised in the Catholic church, and so I had, I had learned liturgical services and the Catholic hymns and liturgy, but this place, we had a youth group that was jumping. It was, it was a good, awesome youth group full of kids who were sincere, not only about their faith, but about a desire to evangelize and to worship together. There was this, you remember cassette tapes? You remember those? Yay big, about the size of a deck of cards. Put them in a thing, they play music. Hosanna Integrity was this company that made these worship tapes. And side A was fast music. It was the music you danced to. Side B was the slow music. It was the one where you, you kneel and you, maybe you cry and you, you, you sing. And, and we wore those things out. We had like probably 12 of them in our youth group and we just, Every time we got together, it was either side A, side B of one of them. What are you in the mood for? 
Let's do a side, it's a side B kind of day. But one of the songs that really got us dancing opened with the line to this psalm. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into your house, O God. Do you know the song? It kind of has this um, kind of a Hebrew shuffly kind of thing and it sort of grows in tempo as you sing it. And we would sing the song, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into your house, O Lord. And it's funny how I, I think all these years later when I hear that and I read these words, I think about that church, and here's what I think about. I think about how that was an era of my life when I, when I first came to faith and how a whole new world opened up for me, centered on the love and the grace of God and what it meant to have a zeal for him. If you're here or you're watching on a screen and you are Let's say you're between 14 and, no, let's go even earlier. Let's say you're between 12 and 19. And you've, faith has been a part of your deal. Church has been a part of your deal. You're getting to an age where a shift happens for many, many kids. And the shift is this. The faith that you've grown up with has been sort of provided for you, right? So you're taken places to church, you're taken to youth group, you're taken to these places, but there's, there's a point when something comes alive inside of you or the question rises in you, is this my faith? What does it mean for me to believe this? And here's what I wanna say to you if you're in that category. Don't think that because your parents believed something and tried to teach you something that it's kind of automatically not really yours. Understand that it is yours in a very real way, like your house is yours, and like the meals that you eat are yours, and like the wardrobe that you put on is, is yours, that we, that we come from somewhere. And the Lord brings us into faith, and, and when you get to that age where you're thinking about what do I do with this gospel, with this Christianity, with this faith? What do I do with it? I want to encourage you, embrace it. Embrace it and learn what it means to grow and to read scripture on your own. It's a fascinating thing. If you're like, you know, I've never really even thought about reading my Bible on my own and you're wondering, what do I do with a book this thick? How do I even start? Just read John's gospel. Start with the gospel of John See where it takes you. If you need a palate cleanser every once in a while when you're in the Gospel of John, go read a psalm in the Old Testament that you're getting a balance. But I think about that youth group that I was a part of. It's the most earnest group of kids that you can imagine. I think about the time that we spent together singing and laughing and praying and pranking each other. I think about the Bible that I used to carry, this NIV student Bible it was pretty ubiquitous at that time, and mine is just covered with pen marks and blue and green highlights. I think about how in that church, the seeds of the gospel began to grow in me a calling to be a pastor. And so Bruce talks about 
the, the coming congregational meeting where I will be put forth as, a, as, a, as, a, as an item to be voted on uh, to become an associate pastor. I'm telling you that when I was 16, I was thinking about this. And the Lord was shaping this in me. And I think about that. I think about this. I think about how there was a point in my life when I understood that this gospel, this faith, was something I couldn't do nothing with. I had to do something with it. And I had the sense that it was going to spin my life forward in a direction where everything would be touched by it. And that is what happened. When I read this psalm, it reminds me that I have more than a mere personal relationship with Jesus. I belong to something. And if you're a Christian, you do too. We belong to something. And it's something bigger than Christ Presbyterian Church. It's bigger than all of the congregations that you've ever been a part of, all of the Bible studies, all of the accountability groups. I belong to the people of God. I belong to the people of God. I belong in the number that this psalmist is talking about when he says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of God. And if you're a Christian, you belong to that number too. And you probably have a very familiar story, story that's like the one I just told. In fact, if I were a betting man, I would bet that as I was telling you about my experience, you were overlaying yours. And you were walking in your own mind through the journey of what that was for you. And we do, we think back to the rhythms and the people and the songs that take you back to this era that is actually just a continuation of something that the Lord started ages ago. And what he started was this, he started God's people gathering together in corporate worship, which is what this psalm is about. This psalm is about going to church. It's about the gathered people of God. So if the first of these psalms, Psalm 120 and the Psalms of Ascent was a leaving song, this, this is an arriving song. The psalmist is talking about entering Jerusalem to gather with others in worship. Eugene Peterson wrote this book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. If you haven't read that book, I would really encourage you to get it. One, because Eugene Peterson is one of the most brilliant and poetic and beautiful writers in recent decades. He passed away a year or two ago. But the other reason is because that book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, is about the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, I'm using it in sermon prep. And so if you want a little bit of insight into what I might be talking about, chances are, I wanna read this quote from Eugene Peterson from that book about this psalm. He said, what this psalm is, is it's a demonstration of what people of faith everywhere and always do. Gather to an assigned place and worship their God. Why do we do it, he asks. Why is there so much voluntary and faithful worship by Christians? Why is it we never find a Christian life without in the background somewhere an act of worship? We never find Christian communities without also finding Christian worship. Why is it 
worship is the most common background to all Christian existence and is so faithfully and willingly practiced? And he answers the question by saying this, worship gives us a workable structure for life. It nurtures our need to be in relationship with God and it centers our attention on the decisions of God. So worship is a place where God's people come together around his word to remember who he is and what he has done and how we're a part of it. And we're called to this. We're all called to worship. If you've been around me for any length of time, I will say that 50 times a year. That we're made to worship. It's a core truth in all of us. We were made to worship. We were created to ascribe to God all the glory and all the honor that is due to his name. To adore him as his handiwork. Celebrating his goodness and his grace. Like Adam and Eve, before the fall, we were created to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day in intimate, face-to-face, holy fellowship with him. We were made for that. And as Augustine said, Lord, you have made us for ourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Have any of you been, raise your hand, this is a show of hands kind of situation. I can't see you at home, but raise your hand anyway. Raise your hand if you've been to Jerusalem. Okay, we have a few folks here. Raise your hand if you've lived in Jerusalem. Hello. I did, in college. I highly suggest if you can study abroad for a semester, do it. Um, I did, and I lived in Jerusalem. I lived right there on Mount Zion, about 100 yards or 150 meters. That's how they would, never mind. From the old city walls in Jerusalem, from the gate. And so when this psalmist, he he says this, he says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to worship. Where he is is he's standing in Jerusalem's gates and he's looking. He's looking at Jerusalem and I've been there and I've stood there and I've looked. Guys, it is, it's beautiful. You've seen pictures of Jerusalem, but there's something so breathtakingly beautiful about that city and so ancient. But it's not just ancient to us because it's ancient. It looked ancient then. It has this, because it's all built from the, the limestone of the region there. And so it, it's the same color. And it's a, it's a deserty kind of arid area. And it's just this limestone city that rises up almost like it grew out of the ground. It's golden when you see it. It's, it's this, and when the sun shines on it, it just has this golden appearance. And the nations are there. I remember the experience of walking down the streets and you would hear every language in the world. You'd hear Italian and German and French and Spanish and Hebrew and Arabic and English and Japanese and Korean. And you would hear all these different languages to the point where, you know, if you're you're an American and you've never studied any language other than English... There are basically two languages you hear, English and a foreign language, right? And, and there, walking around, you begin to hear the differences in Italian and French. And I know maybe you may be saying, of course you can tell differences in Italian and French, but you get the feeling that the 
the world is gathered in this place. Nations are there. When, when the people in the psalm gathered in worship, it was the tribes coming together. It was 12 tribes coming together. And though they were all part of the nation of Israel, they were separate. They, they lived in different places and they had distinct customs and ways of, of, of going about their lives. And so when they would gather together, there would be this, this kind of diversity. And what he's saying here, even in this psalm, is he's saying it's a place where people of all kinds come together and we're bound. We're bound to each other within her walls. And why have they come? He says, the tribes have come. This is in verses four and five. He says, the tribes have gathered together to give thanks to the name of the Lord. And so to paraphrase what he's saying is, I was glad when my friends called me to follow the decree of the Lord to gather to give thanks to him together. It's good for us to do this. This psalm highlights three specific actions that I want to unpack briefly. Giving thanks, gathering together, seeking good. These are the things that make the, pilgrim's disciple, the pilgrim disciple's heart glad when he thinks about going into worship. We thank God for what he has done, for what he has given, for what he has built, for what he has preserved, for what he has forgiven, for what he has promised. And we do this as individuals, but we also do it as many tribes that the Lord has brought together. We gather together as God's people regularly to do one of the most intimate things people can do together, and that is bow in reverence before the Lord in worship. We've been given this incredible gift to the body of Christ, people to go through this journey of life and faith with in every season. I think about this sometimes as a pastor because sometimes on Sunday mornings, my position in the room is I'm facing you like I am right now, right? Or I'll be facing you sometimes when we're singing. And it's not lost on me. And sometimes it hits me kind of hard that what I'm observing you doing is deeply personal for you. And there aren't many scenarios in life where we see each other doing things on that heart level. But in worship, we do. I see some of you weep. I see some of you raise your hands. I see some of you with a permagrin on your face and you just can't stop smiling in worship. I can tell sometimes when you walk in the room that something's off that something's wrong because I know you and I can read your face and you're bringing it in to the room and you're bringing it into this place of worship. There aren't places like this where we gather from a multitude of families and backgrounds and and, and places where we've come from in order to open ourselves up. But we do here. We gather together as God's people and we seek our neighbor's good or the congregation's good in this passage is what he's talking about, but it's our neighbor. We seek our neighbor's good with our lives, which in this psalm is described as praying for and promoting peace for the development and the flourishing of the individual pilgrim disciple who's going to worship, but also for the well-being and the flourishing of his brothers and sisters. And so let's unpack these three things. Giving thanks... In, Psalm, in verse four, the psalmist tells us a key purpose in worship is to give thanks to the name of the Lord. To give thanks for what? 
This seems to be a question that I'm asking a lot as I'm spending time with the Lord and as I'm preparing sermons. For what? You know, last week we talked about what do you read scripture for? What do you use scripture for? Here we're asking the question, what do you thank God for? And we've all been there, right? It's Thanksgiving, you're at the table, and you know that at some point, somebody is going to say, you know what we should do? Sing it with me. We should all go around the table and say what we're thankful for, right? Maybe you're the person who raises the question, blessings on your head. Here's what I feel when that question comes up. Even though I know it's coming, I know what Thanksgiving is, I know it's coming, I'm a dad, I'm supposed to be the one asking the question, and I feel a sense of panic, and I become a little bit like Steve Carell's character in Anchorman when he's going around the room talking about all the things that he loves. I love lamp, right? Like, I start to just look around the room and I'm thankful for my cat. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for food, air, right? Listen, because we live in a land of plenty, it's easy to take for granted benefits that countless other generations before us would have just lost their ever-loving minds over. Clean running water that comes out of a faucet that you can walk to in four seconds, right? Modern medicine, global communication. Like, think about this. Right now, I'm standing here in this room saying these words. Across the hall, there's a laptop computer receiving a signal from space of me saying these words. It's wireless. It's wireless, baby. But we have these things, and so we can think of ease and convenience as a basic human right, which has not been the case historically. And so one of the vital elements of worship is practicing gratitude, expressing gratitude for God, to God, which for most believers down through time has meant gratitude in the face of sorrow and struggles that are much less common today. In times of ease, it can be hard to feel the gravity of gratitude. But worship isn't supposed to be forced. It's not supposed to be like a child trying to come up with something good to impress his grandparents at the Thanksgiving table. The invitation to worship is supposed to draw from us a response, a response of gladness because we get to gather together with God's people in his presence. And we're not glad about the music and we're not glad about the eloquence of the preacher. We're not glad about the chandeliers in the ballroom, right? We are glad because we were made for a relationship with him And in spite of sin that would separate us from his grace, he has given us his grace in his son so that we might draw near. And for this, our hearts should leap for joy. 
Gathering together. Worship isn't just an opportunity to express gratitude. It's an opportunity to thank God together with others. Notice how plural the language is in this psalm. He talks about him doing things in order to be with other people or for the sake of other people. So let's go back to that Thanksgiving table where we're struggling to come up with what it is that we think we should say. Something else is happening too for most of us around that table. And that is, we're wondering when it's over. When's the meal over? Because what I really wanna do is I wanna get on with the things that I want to do. I wanna go play or I wanna take a nap or I wanna watch a game right, that there's a longing in us for many of us, not everybody, some of you love this stuff, but there's a longing to get on with it, to say I'm full, now I'm gonna go do the thing that makes me really, puts me in my happy place, right? And those things aren't bad, they're really not bad, but what they do is they highlight the the autonomy of our culture, that If we're being honest, most of us would much rather be on our own time doing whatever it is that we prefer, right? And we're living with the consequences of this autonomous spirit right now. We're seeing it with the racial tension that's happening in our nation and our world because that comes from really only caring about what we're accustomed to. It comes from favoring the familiar over the unfamiliar. But in this psalm, tribes are coming together, people with differences. But they gather over what unites them, their union with God. And this is not something that they simply endure, but it's something that they celebrate. It's to be something that we want. And not just for diversity's sake, which is important, but it's to learn how, how does the Lord that I worship and follow, how does he work in the lives of other people? Because I understand him better if I understand how he works in the lives of other people. Some of the most encouraging times for me are when I hear other people talk about what the Lord is doing in their lives. And sometimes it's stories of advance and progress, gaining ground. Sometimes it's stories of sorrow and grief and lament, but they help me. They help me remember that the Lord is on the move. He's on the move. He's at work in our lives. And that he moves among the charismatics as well as among the Presbyterians. And that he's at work shaping the lives of white Christians as he is at work shaping the lives of black Christians and people from every nation. And this psalm is, is, is praying such a worthy prayer. The psalm is praying this 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 is my paraphrase, wake me from my myopic desire to only see what I already know and like. Wake me from my myopic desire to only see and seek what I already know and what I already like. Call me into something that is meant to change me. Remind me that I'm part of something that is bigger than myself. Call me into what the Lord decrees for his people. When I think about my place in the kingdom of God, may that always be plural in my mind, that I am part of something bigger than myself. 
Before I transition from this point, I just I want to say a quick word on gathering together before we move on. Because what this psalm is calling us to do is it's calling us to habituate corporate worship. That this would be our habit. Like, like in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, it tells us don't forsake the gathering together of the Lord's people. I'm preaching a sermon on habituating gathered worship during a pandemic when many of us can't be here. And I recognize that, and I want to speak to a couple of groups of people in the process of doing this. First is for those of you who are gathered in this room, okay? For those of you who are gathered in this room, I'm so glad we're doing this. Last week was when we broke the seal. It was awkward. As I took a poll and asked people what their experience was, it was a mixed bag for every person. So I'm glad we did that. It was tiring. The face coverings was dark. felt somber. I don't know if that was me. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, many people gave me feedback on that. I know that this is strange. And I know that face coverings are a bummer. And I know that communion is weird. I know that. And I know that the kids' ministry is on hold and and we're all a bit uncomfortable with how much we should interact with each other. Is this okay? Should I give you? I don't know. You know, we're, we're figuring all this out. And I know that everybody went through a decision-making process to decide on whether or not to be here in this room, and those, even those processes were different from one another. I want to encourage us, let's, let's do our best to love each other and care for each other well in this season, and to really worship the Lord together when we come to this place. I don't, I don't want us to waste the season that we're in season of pandemic, and I don't want us to waste the season we're in where the racial division and tension in our country is heightened to the place where it's on display and it's in the forefront. May this not just be a moment that passes and we get to the other side of, but may it be a transformation that happens in our own hearts of empathy and a longing to hear and to learn and to love. For those who are unable to be with us in person, see you. I know that you would prefer to not be in a pandemic. And I know that you grieve what this means for you in this season. I I do. I I feel it. I also know that people in our congregation have a myriad of reasons for not yet joining in the gathered worship, and I honor that. I honor that. Whatever those reasons may be, we we love you, and we miss you, and we feel your absence as an ache, as an ache to be reunited. Take the time you need. Take the time you need, and we will be here, and we'll be here doing our best to help you stay connected because we need each other and we love you. There's a third group that I want to address, but they'll never hear it. (laughs) May we never become, especially in this season, people who get out of the habit of participating in church. 
we were talking as pastors with another pastor of another large church in the city, and Scott asked the question, what have you learned about your congregation during this season? Big, big church. And his answer was, well, one of the things I've learned is they sure enjoy not going to church. (laughs) Let's not get out of the habit of worshiping the Lord together as his people. And if that means in this room socially distanced or if that means on a screen participating in what's happening with the local body you're a part of, even when it's weird, it's good. Belonging to the body of Christ is God's design for us. So we gather. We gather. Some Christians may say, I don't need the church. I'm an outside-the-box kind of person. The woods is my church. I can go for a walk and encounter God there. Don't you know that the purpose of the church is not simply for you as an individual to encounter God? That's never been the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is for God to gather his people and to make them one and to make them one body. And he gives some these gifts and he gives some other gifts and he says, you need each other. You need each other. When we say, no, I want to live outside the box. I want to throw away convention. I don't think that's true. And here's what I mean by that. We live in a world of order and design and we need a frame around our lives. It's why we discipline our kids. There needs to be a frame around our lives. Believe it or not, we long to live in a box. (laughs) We want a big box, lots of room to explore, margin, but we need something to contain us. We need something to contain our feelings and our thoughts and our activities, something that would gather us. Yeah, we need margin, but we also need borders. We need the rhythm, right, of a, of a place to return to because we don't do well in upheaval and we don't do well in constant change. Think about moving. Some of you move often. Some of you have not moved in a long time, but here's what happens when you move, right? You uproot. And in order to move, you set your world in disarray. And it's hard. And it's easy to get lost and overwhelmed. I remember when we moved from Kansas City back here to Nashville in 2010, we weren't able to move from a house to another house. We moved from... from a house to a, a rental and our stuff in storage and it, we, there were six of us and it was a thousand square feet and we were just packed in on each other and I'm learning a new job and a new town and all kinds of new things, new schools, new everything. It even takes a toll on you to figure out where your grocery store is, right? And then what's the layout of the thing? And all of this was new. It's hard, right? We need to know where we are and where we're going. We need to be gathered. What does corporate worship do to our perspective? It turns it outward. The psalmist begins to pray for the people around him. You see him do this here. Not for his own peace and his own security, but for the peace and security of his people. And so in closing, I close with this last point, seeking good. The psalmist prays for peace within Jerusalem's walls. And he prays, 
You see this in those last verses. Notice what he prays. He prays that he would be a man of peace for the sake of his brothers and sisters. Has there ever been a time when that concept has been more relevant than now? He says this, for the sake of my brothers and my companions' sake, I will say, peace be within your walls. And then he says this, he says, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. He's saying that to his neighbors. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. It's such a hard-learned Christian principle that we would lay down our rights to ourselves for the sake of others. As Oswald Chambers says in, what's it called? My utmost for his highest. There it is. It went away, and then it came right back. Thanks to you. Why? Because I have the body of Christ. You help me. See? We just illustrated the point. Part of worship is caring for the well-being of other people, actively seeking out our neighbor's good. And so in a time of pandemic, in a time of racial division, the Lord has brought to the forefront not only how challenging it can be to do this, but he's also brought to the forefront how beautiful it can be to do this. And so may we not waste this either. May we come through this year as people whose lives have been changed by the proximity we've been given to suffering and the proximity that we've been given to injustice. And may we become people who make it part of our life of worship, our life of worship, to actively seek the good of others in any way that we can, including learning how to become people of peace, which means learning where we're not. The church is meant to be a place where we are changed, where God draws us up out of ourselves and into community with other people with a vast array of experiences and wisdom that we could not find alone, nor would we even think to look for. And so I pray that this would become our prayer. And this is the prayer that I will close our sermon with. Dear God, dissatisfy us with the limits of our own wisdom and our own understanding so that we might seek you according to the counsel of your word in the company of your people. Draw us out of ourselves. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, the lifter of our heads. Amen.